Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob is the editor for the Adult Commentary, and he also wrote some of the content that we're, we're using this quarter. Um, we're going to be looking at session four. It's uh, an examination of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 through 13. And the main point here is that seeing changed lives encourages distressed hearts. Uh, the outline that, that you're going to find in the resources are these main points, these three points, distressed, rejuvenated, and focused. That first point, distressed, comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. In these verses, Paul reiterated that the missionaries understood that persecution awaited. Once in Athens, Paul sent Timothy back to the Thessalonica church out of fear that the tempter had caused these believers to question their belief in Jesus. For us, we can walk away knowing that believers need encouragement to remain faithful to Christ. If Paul needed encouragement, surely we do too. The second point is rejuvenated, and that looks at verses 6 through 10 of chapter 3. In these verses, Paul expressed the comfort brought through Timothy's report about the Thessalonian believers' sustained faithfulness to Jesus. This news encouraged Paul, giving him renewed hope and life. For us, we need to understand that the faithfulness of other believers encourages us in our spiritual walks, but that also encourages others who have influenced and impacted us. The last point is focused, and that's verses 11 through 13. In these verses, Paul shared his prayer that the Lord would help the Thessalonian believers grow in their love and holiness. He asked God for the opportunity to return to their city so he could encourage the believers just as they had encouraged him. The main point for us is that believers can continue to encourage one another through prayer for continued growth in love and holiness. Bob, help us understand here what's going on in the background because he's concerned that they've been led astray, and we see that in verses four and five. Yeah, I kind of like to think when I read through this 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 part of First Thessalonians, it's almost like a television show that where one episode builds on the other. Uh, you know, you always you turn on the, the the TV show or whatever, and it says previously on whatever the name of the show is, and that's sort of where Paul is. Paul's saying, "Hey, let, before we get into this really te this teaching part of it, let me remind you of where we've been." Let's let me remind you of some of the things that we experienced together. And I think that's he's setting the groundwork to help them out. Now, the actual context, uh, you can read about part of that from from uh, Acts chapter 17, where Paul talked about the riot that was that was instigated against him in Thessalonica, how he had to quickly leave town uh, to protect his own uh, to protect his life and and to really to to help. I don't know that the, the crowds would have calmed down in their attacks on his friends if, if he hadn't left town either. So he, for his benefit and theirs, he left and, and went to Berea and then eventually worked his way over to Athens. But 
he's reminding them of this stuff that this is these are the things that we've gone that we've gone through together and in some ways you've seen what i've suffered and you can expect the same kind of suffering because we're following the same master and if they didn't like me they're not gonna like you and so you know kind of expect this persecution coming up uh, i love it he twice in this passage uh in the first couple of verses he uses the phrase when i couldn't stand it any longer it was like he was he was he was freaking he wasn't really freaking out but he was just it was eating him up he was he was beside himself wondering what was going on we see his pastor heart being demonstrated at that point and so he just had to know it was you know and and part of it was also because he didn't get to spend as much time with them as he wanted to he would have loved to have been able to spend you know he spent 18 months with the corinthians he spent three years with the ephesians he would have loved to be able to spend that much time in thessalonica and he just didn't get the chance and so he wondered if, if what he had done maybe was enough, if they were grounded well enough in the scriptures, in the word, in the faith, to be able to, to endure the persecution that they were obviously going to be facing. And so he sent Timothy to figure that out, to see where they are and to further their teaching and to help guide them deeper into the faith. And eventually Timothy came back to Paul when he was in Corinth and gave him a great report. And Paul was thrilled about that. And that's really what spurred the writing of First Thessalonians to begin with, as far as we can tell. In verse five, we see this statement that his labor might be for nothing. That's how the CSB translates it. His work would be for nothing. It seems, it could seem self-serving here, like the real concern was his reputation as opposed to concern for the Thessalonians. Can you help us walk through that idea? What he really means there with labor might be for nothing. As we kind of step forward with that idea, we need to take a couple steps back and remember some of the things that Paul has already talked about in Thessalonians, in this letter to the Thessalonians. He's already said that he loved them like a mother who loves her child. He had cared for them, that they knew that he wasn't there to manipulate them, that they, he knew that they weren't, that he wasn't going to take advantage of them, that he loved them with all of his heart. And so that with that background and that context, to, to think that, that Paul was being self-serving or was trying to, to, to gain some kind of advantage against them or over them, it, it comes across as kind of being a little cynical or maybe skeptical because that's really the whole rest of the book indicates that this is not where Paul's heart is. So you get asked the question, well, if he wasn't being self-serving, what was he doing? And, you know, why was he, you know, why was he worried about wasting his time or not having an impact? And I think to understand that, you have to understand who Paul was. You know, first and foremost, Paul loved Jesus. Paul was going to serve Jesus. He was a servant of Jesus. In other places, he called himself a slave of Christ. He was completely sold out to Jesus. He was driven by Jesus. And everything he did was filtered through Jesus. Later on, he was going to write to the Philippians and tell them, you know, that that his goal in life was to make Jesus known. Uh, and to to draw people to him, whatever the cost, even even if it uh, even if it was if he had to face persecution or or face some other kinds of struggles, he was going to make Jesus known. And then, as he got to the end of his life, he wrote a letter to Timothy and said, "You know, I've I've run the I've run a good race. I've fought a good fight. I've done everything I could." And the reason he could say that was because he never backed down from his commitment to Jesus. And so, everything Paul was going to do in life was going to be focused on Jesus. And so that's what this is. He didn't want to do anything that uh, that would diminish Jesus in the life of the Thessalonians. So his fear was that he hadn't done enough or he hadn't poured in enough 
and, if, and that somehow they might be deceived or they might be tricked or they might be coerced into denying the faith. And if, he, if that happened, then all the work that he had done wouldn't amount to anything. And so he was always looking at things with, a, with an eternal perspective. One of these days, I'm going to stand before Jesus. One of these days, I've got to give an account, and I want to give the best account I can. And if I let people, if I let wolves in to attack the sheep, that's not being a good steward. That's not, and, and I'm going to have to give account to that. So he was going to do everything he could to make sure that that didn't happen. And this is early, too. This is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. We see, in some ways, him setting the standard early on in his ministry, which gave him a longer fruitful ministry that same concern is carried through the other his rest of his work mm -hmm. and so we can certainly understand why this would have been important early in his ministry to set the foundation and the tone for what's happening later on this is he was on his second missionary journey so he'd done some work previously but as far as his letters yeah. uh, maybe galatians yeah. might have been earlier but first thessalonians was surely one of the one of the one of the earliest and so you kind of get uh, a, a view of who he was and what he was all about through that. Uh, verse 10 talks about lacking in your faith. Um, how should we understand that particular phrase, lacking in your faith? Again, I'll give you, I, I encourage you to kind of take a step back and look at the whole context. What he says is, I want to complete what is lacking in your faith. And so the key to understanding what lacking means is to understand what the word complete means. Um, the, in the Greek word uh, that he used there, the Greek wording that he used there, uh, it really means to supply, to provide, uh, to, to make something better. He wasn't talking about starting something from scratch or, or building something from the ground up. He was talking about taking something that was already there and enhancing it, making it better. And so he, it wasn't that they didn't know about Jesus. It didn't, wasn't that they even, uh, that they needed Jesus is Savior. They'd already made that decision. Their, their eternity was secure. But as far as their maturity and their growth, there were still things that they needed to know. They started out really well. You know, Paul says that they had turned from idols to the true and living God. He talked about the impact that they had had in their own community. He talked about how their reputation was being spread all the way from, from Macedonia to Achaia, which is the southern part of Greece, to all over the world in some cases. And so they had started out really well. But they weren't, they weren't finished. You know, the discipleship never stops. We, we never quit growing. I've told people before, when you stop growing uh, is when you start dying. And so, if, you know, if you, uh, it, we are always going to be growing. Uh, and and Paul, Paul is funny because Paul wanted to have, he wanted to have his fingerprints all over that. It was, it was okay to send Timothy. He was happy to send Timothy. He trusted Timothy. And he may have sent Silas at one point too. But he wanted to be in the game. He wanted to be in the action. He, he was, it was driving him crazy that he couldn't get to Thessalonica himself and actually pour into these people knee to knee, face to face. He, he longed for that. But he was reminding them, whether it's me or whether it's Timothy or whether it's Silas or whether you're encouraging one another, you still got room to grow. You're still, there's still, you haven't reached any kind of point yet. And, and that was contrary to what a lot of the false teachers of that day would have been saying. They would have said, hey, you know, if you follow my way, you're going to reach a point where you're never going to have to worry about anything again. You're going to be spiritually mature. You're going to be as close to God as you're ever going to get. And so just follow my way. And we're going, and that's not what we see in scripture. And it's not what we see in the writings of Paul. Paul was, Paul was more like, okay, great. You're not lying anymore. That's wonderful. How are you doing with stealing? 
<laughs> you know, uh, you're not stealing anymore. Great. How you doing with anger? And he was, he would just always come back and remind them that God is constantly working on areas of our lives. And even if we think we've mastered one area of our life, there is still a whole another area or areas that we, that still need spiritual transformation, that still need God's help, that we still need God's hand. And, and we're the same way. That's, that's the main thing here is that we never reach a point where we need to stop growing. We need to always be aware that spiritual, spiritual transformation is an ongoing process that we will never complete the side of the grave. The older I get, the more I realize I still have the same weakness as a 50-year-old as I did as an 18-year-old. Absolutely. And Satan knows what those are. Yeah, it's just <laughs> expressed in different ways, but it's still the same weakness. Mm -hmm. And I, I, those different expressions is what, what trips us up. Yes. We may have mastered what it, how it was expressed as an 18-year-old, but now we've got to remaster how, how that same weakness is expressed as a 50 year old. Yeah. We're always going to have, uh, we're always going to have things that are lacking in our lives. We're always going to have the rough edges that need to be sanded off. And sometimes that sanding, it hurts. <laughs> it's a pain, but it, it's to make us more like Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal. And it goes eventually in eternity, we will be with him and we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. This section ends with Paul praying offering a prayer for the, the Thessalonican believers to grow in their love and in their holiness. What role should prayer play in encouraging other believers? Well, obviously, Jesus is the foundation of everything we do. He is the, he is the author of our salvation. He is, he is our foundation. He is everything that we build on. If you use that analogy, the building construction uh, narrative, prayer is the thing that holds everything together. Jesus is the foundation. Prayer keeps everything from collapsing, from imploding on itself. I'm a proud alumni of Liberty University, and I, I'm old enough to remember when I was there, Dr. Falwell, the founder, was still alive and was still there and, and got to hear him quite often. One of the things he used to love to say was that God never does anything of eternal significance outside of prayer. And so, you know, I'd never forgotten that. God never does anything of eternal significance outside of prayer. Prayer is the thing that, that it's the engine that makes everything go spiritually. So Paul was telling the, the, the Thessalonians, you know, I'm praying for you, you know, and you need to be praying for each other and you need to be praying for your church and please be praying for me as well. But he said that basically there's two ways that prayer kind of encourages us. And that was the original question. I kind of digressed a little bit. I think it does it two basic ways. One, it's really encouraging to know that somebody else is praying for me especially when I don't know how to pray for myself. You know, there are times when we get so stressed out that the words just don't come. We feel so overwhelmed that we just don't know how to put the words together. Paul said in Romans that the Holy Spirit will come to your side and will help pray for you during those times. But it's really comforting and really encouraging to know that other people are praying for you as well, that they are, that they're, that they're going where you really can't go emotionally or physically or mentally or spiritually at that moment. So that's an encouragement. The other thing is, it's encouraging because we realize we can't do this by ourselves. Prayer is a confession that we are inadequate. And that's, you know, that sounds harsh, but it's actually liberating. Because if we, we don't have to have it all together, we don't have to have all the answers. We come to a Heavenly Father who knows all and can do all, and we just lay it in His lap. Uh, I've been reading through um, through First and Second Kings recently, and uh, I'm always taken back by the story of Hezekiah, who um, who who had the the threats from the 
the Arameans and he, they sent him these nasty letters and, you know, basically he just took the letter and to the temple and laid it out before God and said, I can't do anything about this. They're, 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 they're after you. They're making fun of you, God. What are you going to do about it? And God says, Hey, they're not going to get close enough to shoot an arrow into the city. So, you know, uh, that's, 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 that's what prayer is. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's an acknowledgement that, that we need him more than anything else. So those two things, we, we know we get encouraged because people pray for us and we get encouraged because we, we realize we, we're not in this alone. Um, but it also, we just talked about spiritual transformation. And when we have that, those kind of things aligned and our prayer life is working, that assists in spiritual transformation, which is also encouraging uh, because prayer opens the door for those kind of things. Paul, when he was, when he was praying and encouraging the, the Thessalonians to pray, he wasn't praying that they would do something. He wasn't praying necessarily that, that they would that they would do a work in their own lives. He was praying for God to do what only God could do in their lives. And so, you know, that's that requires spiritual transformation. He's asking God to transform them and to make them into the people that, that he created them to be. And so as we realize that prayer is a huge part of who we become as Christians, then that's encouraging as well, because we know God's not done with us yet group plans call for the session time to end by the group praying it from the apply the text section and underneath it it's the third question set and what it says is as a group pray for your church to experience growth in fellowship love and holiness and then it asks what actions can your group take to foster the growth of these three characteristics that would be an important conversation to have with the group be interesting to find out what actions they would suggest are needed by the group to foster those three things of fellowship, love, and holiness. You mentioned the transformation, spiritual transformation that takes place when we pray for others. I would argue that that same transformation takes place for us because when we pray for the needs of someone else or for a change in someone else, we also are technically asking for that same kind of change to happen in ourselves. And we really don't have the right to ask for that change. Yeah. We want to set ourselves as an example. And when I read this as a group, pray for your church to experience growth in fellowship, love, and holiness. I know we want our group to demonstrate that. And as, as every group demonstrates that, then it'll impact the church. But every group is made up of an individual. And we as teachers or leaders, whatever title we have, uh, we have the responsibility and the burden and the stewardship to demonstrate what that fellowship, love, and holiness should look like. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in all three of those things, but it does mean that we're asking God to help us improve in our fellowship skills, our love for others, and in our holiness, whatever that may mean. It may mean a practice that my wife and I've had for several years is prayer walk in our house to see if there's something that we need to get rid of in our house. And we found all kinds of different things we never would have thought of that we needed to get rid of. Some of them were gifts, uh, some of them were other things. Uh, but our concern was that if we had that, would we be endorsing what that item was, what that product was, and that be a stumbling block to someone else. And so it, 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 I can never predict what it is God's going to show us <laughs> when we do that. But I think that's a key part of this study is realizing we want others to demonstrate fellowship, love, and holiness. 
but if we want them to really demonstrate it, we've got to do that first and begin with ourselves. And this lesson gives us that opportunity for us to reflect on that as teachers. And then in turn, our groups reflect on it and then they impact our church. So we impact the group, the group impacts the church and we're all working together to grow in this fellowship, love and holiness. And that's really what you see here, Paul doing, where it's him, that's his desire for himself. And then that trickles down to the groups, to the churches and then permeates eventually the church, the church as a whole, capital C in what he's trying to say and think about. Bob, are there any other key ideas or thoughts that you would share from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 through 13. Yeah, I just affirm what you just what you just mentioned. You know, we we talk a lot uh, in our world, uh, in our editorial world, about teaching from the overflow of your life. And that, uh, you know, a lot of times when we're talking to Sunday school leaders, when we say that, we're talking about you need to study the lesson and you need to let God talk to you through the lesson first. But it's also through how we act and the example that we set and the 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 patterns that we reveal. Paul could talk so confidently. In several places in the New Testament, he said, follow me because I follow Christ or imitate me because I imitate Christ. The reason he could say that was exactly what you were mentioning before. He was dealing with it in his own life first, and he was teaching from the overflow. And you're, you're absolutely right. The rules haven't changed. What was important for Paul when he was dealing with the Thessalonians is, or the Thessalonians is, uh, is still, still true for us today. We still need to teach from the overflow. It's hard to get an overflow by waiting till Sunday morning to study your lesson. That's right. Uh, overflows tend to happen early in the week and take some time to build up. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder sometimes how many great illustrations I miss on Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because I didn't start looking at my lesson until Thursday or you know Friday or Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> that God might have shown me something. If I if I'd started looking at it on Monday, I might have seen seen some things that that would have been great illustrations coming up. I thank you for being with us again this week, Bob. I thank you for listening to us today. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send us an email. Send me an email at dwayne.mccurry at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. And I'll do my best to answer your question. Or if I don't know the answer, I will promise to find the right person to answer your question. Join us next week. We'll be looking at session five. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 12. And in those verses, we're going to be thinking about the idea of how the gospel makes a difference in the way believers love and live daily. Let me stop this and see what happens.